Mexico's capital city has had a real image problem in the scary swine flu outbreak to bloody infighting between its drug cartels. But Mexico City, while far from the beaches that many visitors are seeking south of the border, remains a rewarding destination, if you understand it. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. In the hour ahead, we're looking at Mexico City from the inside. Two former New Yorkers join us today from their adopted home to help us understand why the largest city in the Western Hemisphere might also be its most important. It's a vibrant city with a rich energy. The food is great. The people are amazing. It's a rare day that you don't go out walking and see live music somewhere. Guitar players or a trio, an accordion player. David Lita and Jim Johnston have each authored books about Mexico City, and they'll help us navigate its colorful neighborhoods as if we're walking through a living museum. Come along as we get acquainted with Mexico City, from Mole to Pozole, coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Mexico City, 25 million people, no building codes, 800 streets with the same name, Juarez, 750 streets named Hidalgo, an amazing city. A lot of people are afraid of it, and a lot of people fall in love with it. Today, we're talking about Mexico City. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by two men who've went to Mexico City, sort of accidentally fell in love with the place and ended up writing guidebooks. David Lita, author of First Stop in the New World, Mexico City, the Capital of the 21st Century, and Jim Johnston, author of Mexico City, an Opinionated Guide for the Curious Traveler. They're both on the line with us from Mexico City itself. Jim Johnston and David Lita, thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for inviting us. It's so fun to be able to talk with people who are enthusiastic about a place that generally gets a bad rap or it's just not first on people's list. But, David, you call Mexico City the first stop in the new world. What do you mean by that? That's kind of a play on words. I mean, the new world is a reference to uh, the new world that Columbus discovered, and, and Mexico City is the first city that was conquered. But I also think it's the new world in the sense of, okay, more than half the people in the world live in cities. Most of us do not live in neat, orderly cities like uh, New York or Toronto or London or Paris. Most of us live in these huge mega cities, these megalopolises that have grown in leaps and bounds over the past few decades, like Karachi or Mumbai or Shanghai or Beijing or Mexico City. And I think Mexico City, in its own way, is emblematic of the mega cities. If you understand how Mexico City works and how people survive here, you get some idea of how a lot of people in the world live. So a lot of the world's greatest cities today, like Mexico City, were much smaller just a generation ago. In 1950, Mexico City had a population of 3 million. Today, who knows, somewhere around 25 million. So what you're saying is that's really the urban norm on this planet. It's the norm for a lot of people. It's the norm for many, many millions of people. I mean, I mean, I don't know if there is a norm for cities on this planet, Rick, but certainly a lot of people who live in cities today are surviving in these huge, chaotic megacities that have grown by leaps and bounds with nothing that we know of as urban planning. So does it work? I mean, you're charmed by the city, <laughs> and other people would just say pollution and traffic congestion and uh, a tale of two cities, a few really wealthy people and then millions of poor people. What's the charm? Why do you stay there? I've never been bored here. There's never a dull moment in Mexico City. Um, um, indeed, those things are true. The, the air quality, although it's much better than it was 20 years ago, is not as good as it should be. And inequality, uh, I mean, I think the melody line of my book is inequality and how a few people enjoy great riches and a lot of people, most people here struggle. But still, it's a vibrant city with a rich energy. The food is great. The people are amazing because roughly half the people in Mexico City live from the informal economy. Most of them are making their living on the street, selling things or parking cars or, you know, anything. Uh, and there's a incredible ingeniousness to survival that the Mexicans have, that, that they really have my respect, admiration, and love for their ability to carve a life for themselves. It's also a great city for food, for culture, you know, theater, film, uh, museums and galleries. There are more museums here than in London. Live music, uh, culturally, it's one of the great cities of the world. Uh, David Lida, author of First Stop of the New World, Mexico City, Capital of the 21st Century, you write that you fell in love with the city in 1987 during an overnight layover. Tell me exactly how that That's happened. Right. 
as long as I've been conscious of Mexico City, it's had a terrible reputation, if not for crime, for pollution, for overpopulation, for poverty, what have you. And I traveled to Mexico several times in the 1980s and avoided Mexico City because I, I just imagined it would be this horrible chaos. Now, I had a layover. It made sense to go from one place to another to stop overnight in Mexico City. And just being here for one day, seeing, you know, all the rich offerings of food on the street, the incredible bustle and energy. I was in the old part of the city, the historic center, with these buildings that go back to the 1500s and the conquest. I went to a vaudeville show. I went to cantinas. I, I heard people, you know, this fat man singing songs in a dark bar. I mean, I, I was just totally seduced by it in the space of one day and one night. Wow. And David, you wrote that you left New York because you sort of thought the vitality and the spontaneity had been lost there, and you found it in Mexico City. In the 1970s, New York had a terrible reputation for danger. You know, there was this great breach between what you saw in the movies, you know, with cops running down gang members and shooting at each other and drugs. And, but the reality of New York was much different. I mean, most of us just went about our business and survived without any great uh, danger or crime. And New York did become a much safer, much more conservative city. A, a lot of what was fun and interesting about New York when I was a kid it has disappeared. It's very similar. Like today in Mexico City has a terrible reputation similar to what New York was like in those days. The reality is that most of us go about our business without being either criminals or the victims of crime. It's a very charming city. The people are very polite and friendly. Uh, it's lots of fun. But David, you've got an appetite for a little bit of edginess. I, I know from reading your book, it's fun. You take people into places that a lot of people might think are a little edgy, a little bit risky, and it, it gives you a flavor and a little bit of taste of the vibrancy of that city. I mean, I guess I do have perhaps a higher level of risk tolerance than a lot of people. But, you know, and I am sort of stubbornly the kind of guy that when they say, oh, don't go to that neighborhood, I go right to that neighborhood. I'm the same um, way. Uh, I've been doing that all my life. And, uh, you know, I suppose uh, I risk getting ripped off or mugged or something. But, boy, it sure shows you a, a different angle of things that a lot of more risk-averse people might miss in their travels. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with David Lita and Jim Johnston, and we're exploring... Perhaps the greatest city in the Western Hemisphere, Mexico City. Jim, I love this one paragraph you wrote. I'm just going to read it so people can sort of get an image of, of Mexico City. Mexico City is not for the faint-hearted traveler. The air is polluted. The traffic is beyond belief. It's in an earthquake zone and within range of a smoking volcano. You don't come here to relax or get away from it all. You come here to be seduced by a flourishing 700-year-old culture, by people whose hearts are easily opened, and by the sheer audacity of it all. Keep your senses alert to the stimuli, and you will be richly rewarded. Tell us about the rewards, Jim. Well, part of it is just the feeling that you've actually succeeded in handling it all. Um, now that I actually do drive in the city, it took me many years of studying maps before I dared to get in my car here. Now I do, and when I drive friends from out of town, they're all so impressed that I'm able to handle it. So I think that's part of it, is just feeling like I can, we can do this. We can control this seemingly uncontrollable behemoth. Mm. One real distinct thing, I'm an ex-New Yorker as well. Lived all of my adult life in New York City until moving to Mexico in 1997. And in New York, there's always this sense of anger just below the surface. And, there's, and you often see anger above the surface. I can truthfully say that in all the times I've been in Mexico City, my first visit being in 1989, I can only remember one incident where I saw two men yelling at each other using foul language. And that was because one guy had hit the other's car. People are just kinder and more accepting, more comfortable in crowds. I don't know. There's just something about some sort of characteristic of how Mexicans are that is just more relaxed. You know, they go with the flow more readily than I've experienced, certainly anywhere in the United States. And Jim, in your book, you, you capitalize on that, I think, by really encouraging travelers to tour, make a walking tour of a residential neighborhood. Uh, Condesa mm -hmm. and Roma, I think you say, are the best two walking neighborhoods. They're my two favorites, but I happen to live in one and work in the other, so I'm <laughs> a little bit prejudiced. But. But, but the point is, get out of the Zona Rosa and, and just see where people live. Yeah. In fact, the Zona Rosa has a very small chapter in my book. I mean, when I first came here, everyone said, oh, Zona Rosa, you've got to go there. To me, it's one of the least interesting parts of town as a as a tourist. It's sort of the green zone for somebody that doesn't want to connect with the real culture. 
in a way. I mean, it's part of the real, the culture here is so varied and so multifaceted that it's almost hard to say that nothing is, is not part of the real culture. Well, that's um, true. You could come here and see things that remind you of any other, if you go to Santa Fe, the westernmost development of the city, it looks like Tokyo or Houston or something. Um, it's and part of the scene. You, would, you wouldn't even know that you're in Mexico. And yet that is definitely one part of it. So I think it's just the, the, the multifaceted aspect of it that you can never really know it all. All right. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Uh, we're speaking with two New Yorkers who decided eh, New York wasn't quite right, and they both ended up in Mexico City, perhaps the, the New York of Latin America, the cultural leader of Latin America, maybe an image of what future cities are going to be all about. So, Jim Johnson, in your book, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of walking tours because I just love to have some expert taking by the hand and tell me, go down here, look up there, and that means this, and this means that, and step into this bar, and you can understand why because of this. How do you actually make these walking tours through different areas in, in Mexico City? Well, they came about after having lived here for a long time, so I knew the places that I like to walk. And then I just went around with a notebook and a camera and walked and did you know would, would try several different routes, and sometimes I'd, I'd change them after writing it the first time because I'd find a, a street that was actually more interesting. So basically, I just got out there and walked. But the point is, Mexico City has great museums, but you're trying to get people in touch with neighborhoods and to get a, a pithy slice of life look at the culture. I'm one, when I travel, I mean, I do go to museums. I love museums. Mexico has incredible museums. But to me, and I would say this is something not just true of Mexico City, but in general, as I travel the world, what I love is what my friend Kathy calls the, the museum of the streets and the life that you feel on the streets. And I think the thing David said about how many people work in the... Uh, the term? underground economy. The underground yeah. economy. Who are, who are inventing things on the street all the time, selling some strange thing they've made or setting up some service that they're offering on the street. That's the way to really connect with the culture, uh, along with going to the famous For museums. For me, yes. You know, I love seeing that stuff. And Jim, I like the way you talk about uh, a great soundtrack of the city. We're going to talk more about that, and we're going to talk about safety issues. We're speaking with two New Yorkers who fell in love with, with a mega city that makes New York look kind of tame, I guess, and that's Mexico City. Uh, Jim Johnston has a website, jimjohnstonart.com, and uh, Jim has a blog sharing his experiences in Mexico City, and David Lita has a website also, davidlita.com, and David is also working on a blog. Uh, Jim Johnston's book, Mexico City, an opinionated guide for the curious traveler, and David Lita's book, First Stop in the New World, Mexico City, the capital of the 21st century. We've got lots more in Mexico City coming right up. Mexico. We'll take your calls for David and Jim coming up shortly at 877-333-RICK as we explore Mexico City today on Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by two New Yorkers who are now Mexico Cityites, Jim Johnson and David Lita. David Lita, what's the what's the person who lives in Mexico City called? A Chilango. What does that mean? 
Uh, there's a lot of theories about what the etymology of that word is, and, and uh, the one that I like best has to do with chile, the the, the hot pepper. Ah, hot but, pepper uh, eaters. Because huh? it's chilango, chile. But the truth is, I don't think anybody has the real answer to that question. You know, I have so much fun preparing for those interviews. I can't read all the books, but I, I page through them and, you know, read this yeah. and that in them. And the way you have an insight for the culture is just really fun. It's It's just, this is a book... You want to curl up with uh, both of the, Thank Jim, you, Jim and David. Your books you bring Mexico City to life, and and this city is chaos like most travelers have never encountered. Are there actually eight hundred streets named Juarez? Absolutely. <laughs> if you if you look at the Guia Roji, which is the the street map in the index, you will find eight hundred Juarez. Oh man! So do taxi drivers know which Juarez you want to go to? No. <laughs> you have to tell them what neighborhood you're going to. But there's like 20 neighborhoods called La Palma, right? That's right. Or a variation of La Palma. Oh, my goodness. It's complicated. Getting around traffic and transit is the most, the greatest challenge of living in the city. Don't you agree, Jim? Uh, it, it is a challenge, although I have to say I find it really easy to get around now, now that I've lived here for a while and figured it out. Which is, you know, one of the things that I wanted to have in my book because I find that people who don't live here don't know how to tell somebody else how to get around. Okay. So, you know, most guidebook writers come and spend a week and take taxis. I remember how when I was in Southern California, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, Desert Hot Springs, all these variations on palm trees that confused me. But Mexico City, you, right. probably, you probably need a, a good guidebook, a good map, a good spirit of adventure. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Mexico City. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Diana's on the phone in Lynbrook, New York. Diana, thanks for your call. Hi. Thank you. You bet. I'm actually in Manhattan right now. <laughs> oh, you're in Manhattan, the boring big city. Yeah, very boring. <laughs> very predictable. I actually, I wanted to ask um, the um, insecurity of Mexico City. Like, for example, I, I was there about maybe three years ago, four years ago, and uh, I was told not to take any cabs that were on the street make sure that I call to get a cab, and uh, I had heard some stories about some people who had been ripped off by the cab drivers. So I was just wondering what, uh, I mean, aside from the normal safety precautions that everybody should take, I'm planning on going with my two um, more elderly parents. They're like, I guess in their 60s, not that elderly. I, I want to know what kind of tips you might give me, uh, aside from like the normal stuff, as far as security is concerned. Uh, Jim, what are, you, what are your thoughts um, on security? Okay, well... I- you know, I would say, first of all, I, th- I think Mexico as a country and Mexico City as a city are getting a really bad rap these days about security. Mm-hmm. There are definitely security issues in the country these days, mostly on the border towns of Tijuana, mm-hmm. Juarez, and Nuevo Laredo, where there have been a lot of drug-related murders. In Mexico City itself, um, tourists are not being murdered here. Mm-hmm. And I would think that statistically you could read the, the the number of pickpockets or taxi overcharges and things like that really don't don't compare unfavorably with many other major capital cities. Um, I, for one, can say that I, I don't feel fear ever here in Mexico City. I use the same sort of caution that I used when I lived in New York City. If I'm on a dark street late at night, I'm, I look around me. I make sure, you know, that I know what the environment is. But I don't really do anything specific. As far as taxis go, I do take taxis on the street. But I live here. I know my way around. I speak Spanish. I would say for someone who doesn't speak the language or doesn't really know where they're going, stick with taxis from your hotel or what they call sitio taxis. Sitio meaning site. And these are taxis that are registered at a certain location. There's one usually within walking distance of almost wherever you are in Mexico City. Um, you can always ask a policeman or any authority where to find it if you don't see it. And then once you've found one, you can get a card from them and call them to pick you up wherever you want. You might even start at the airport. But, Jim, that's uh, that's so depressing to me. I mean, one of the joys of traveling is to be able to just, in a developing city, in a crazy ramshackle city, just flag down a cab and hop in and, and say, you know, Catedral or, or something like this. Is the risk that you're going to get ripped off, or is the risk that they're going to kidnap well, you and, and take I, you away? I can say, you know, I've taken hundreds and hundreds, and nothing's ever happened to me. So I would say it's mostly a matter of, oh, although David can tell you a story, because he, he was, in fact, the victim of a taxi crime years ago, right after the devaluation of the peso. But he still 
takes taxis. Hmm. Um, I think it's a matter of what you are comfortable with. And I think if, if someone's here and they're not comfortable with doing that, then take a seat to your table. But Jim, what is the risk? Is it the risk that he's going to stop and pull out a knife and take all your money, or is the risk he's just going to screw up the meter and overcharge you? The big risk and the awful stories that they're going to kidnap you. They're going to take you off somewhere and either make you take money out of your ATM machine and then dump you by the side of the road. Um, not that you'll be killed. I, th- I think really there have been very few incidents of, of And there's a limit on how much you can take out of your ATM machine. Exactly. So just take me to the yes. closest ATM machine and I'm gone $300 and spare me, please. Yeah. Yeah, if I could add something to that, Rick, I think this is really important. Um, number one, uh, I would say to Diane, the caller, that yeah. Mexico City is a big city. You've got to watch your back here like in any big city. But I did a lot of research on this for my book. There's a big breach between the perception and the reality of danger here. It is not nearly as dangerous as people think it is. The media, I think, unfortunately, paints this city as as if it were Mogadishu in Spanish, but it's not. As far as the taxis are concerned, I yes, I had a terrible incident. It's in my crime chapter. I have a whole chapter about crime and safety in Mexico City. Once, 13 years ago, I was kidnapped in a taxi cab. I was, I was held there um, on the floor of the cab for two hours, while they tried to take money out of the ATM machines with my card. But you know what? That happened 13 years ago. Nothing else has happened to me in all the years I've been here. The other thing that Diane could do is take taxis and not carry credit cards around. So, you know, you just have some money. And if in the worst of instances you get robbed, you know, they'll just take your money. But it's so unlikely to happen. The other thing, and I think this is really important, before you get into a taxi on the street in Mexico City, you want to make sure that it has an official taxi license plate. All of those license plates begin either with the letter A or the letter B. If they don't have an official license plate, don't get in the cab. You know, you're diminishing your risk, which isn't that great to begin with. You're diminishing your risk enormously by just uh, taking that precaution. And that's good advice anywhere in the world. I mean, you can be in Moscow and have the same sort of uh, scary taxi situations and in Prague or Athens or whatever. You want a legitimate taxi. Yeah. And, and um, there are stories about New York taxi drivers ripping off uh, foreigners who, who, who get on in, in the airport, you know, charging them hundreds of dollars. I mean, the bad things happen, but mm-hmm. they're not that likely to happen. And I, like I said, I just think the perception is far worse than the reality. I did have a bad incident. But remember, I've lived here almost all the time since 1990, and that is the only bad thing that's happened to me. David, I like a point that you made of if you expect to be going into danger's way, harm's way, just take $50 cash with you and leave everything else at the hotel. I can think of many yeah. cases around the world when I know I'm going somewhere which is pretty dangerous from a from a theft or mugging point of view. I still want to go there, Sacramento in Granada or, you know, late at night in, in bad parts of town in, in Istanbul or adventuring in Naples yeah. up the into the Spanish Quarter. Isn't it liberating to, to leave your credit cards? I love it. Just I really have do. That, just have the, a little money in your pocket and then you can go anywhere. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, uh, again, you and I may have a higher risk tolerance than other people. But the thing is, once you sort of shut that out, it's a very liberating experience, and you can meet people and see things that you wouldn't otherwise. It enriches the opportunities. Uh, David, you also write, uh, cops and criminals can be hard to distinguish. What did you mean right. by that? Right. Well, unfortunately, a lot of t- I mean, look, cops make about $500 a month with a current exchange rate even less. That's their starting salary. And they're almost given a license to extort, Okay. Again, I'm not talking about serious crimes or anything that a tourist really has to worry about, but it, usually they're traffic infractions, okay? They stop a car for a real or imagined traffic infraction, and they try to just sort of extort a little bit of money instead of making you go and taking your car to the, to the station house or the pound. They want 50 pesos, 100 pesos, 200 pesos, and, it, you know, in five minutes it's settled. How many pesos um, in a dollar, just so we know? Today, it's 14 to the dollar. So they're asking so, for you know, 10, we're not... 10 bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and pay them, pay them, because I yeah. think one out of every eight prisoners are former policemen in jail in Mexico. Isn't that what you... In Mexico, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah it's so something 13% like 13%. 13% of the prison yeah. population. Tour guides supplement their income with tips. Police supplement right. their income with a little extortion. <laughs> you know, I just went yeah. to Tijuana after I heard they were 
beheading people and a bunch of shoot 'em ups. And I really wanted to go there in person. And it's a drug war. If you're a policeman fighting the drug lords, or if you're a drug lord interested in protecting your turf, it's really dangerous. If you're a tourist on Avenue Revolution, I, I just think the most dangerous thing you've got is a, a little, uh, a little loose stools, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really important for the listeners to understand that you know a lot of the danger and violence, certainly in Mexico. Yes, if you're a drug dealer or or a cop, you know, trying to to fight drug dealers, it's a very dangerous place. If you're a tourist, it isn't. Years ago, when I lived in New York City, my mother called me one night, very upset and frantic. Said, Are you okay? Is everything all right? Is your building okay? And I said, Yeah. What's what's the matter? And she said, I'm watching television. They're burning the city down and they're rioting and there's cops everywhere. And I'm you know thinking, Well, what? I don't know what she's talking about. So I turned the TV on and there was some incident going on in Brooklyn. And I lived in Manhattan. So my mother had this idea from watching television that New York City was in flames. It was a great lesson for me because ever since then, whenever I see almost anything in the newspaper about how bad a situation is, I take it with a large grain of salt. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with David Lita and Jim Johnston. And each of them have a website, jimjohnstonart.com and davidlita.com. We're talking about Mexico City. Gretchen's on the line in Worthington, Ohio. You have some comments on life in Mexico City. Well, my daughter moved down there last fall. She's starting as a foreign journalist. Um, She has always had interest in Latin America, so she lives in Mexico City, and I went down when um, she moved down there. She she loves it. I only spent four days there, but she actually is kind of like your, your speakers, has really just fallen in love with Latin America, and I don't know how long she'll stay there, but... um, we, like any other big city, New York, Madrid, places I've been, really just, you know, exercise caution and get around, but there's certainly a lot to see in Mexico City. You're you're comfortable that your daughter is not in harm's way when she's living and working down there? No, I mean, she lives in Colonial Roma. She lives in a in good area. She's smart, and she's lived in other cities. You know, she spent one summer in New York City, and uh, she really enjoys it. She travels outside the city on buses with friends to the other outlying areas. So, no, people ask me all the time if we're worried about her being there, but um, she certainly isn't. She's right. cautious, but she she just loves the city. Very good. Thank you, Gretchen. You're welcome. And Keith's on the line in Briar, Washington. Keith, thanks for your call. Uh, thank you, Rick. A question for your guests as far as riding the subway in Mexico City. How far does it go out? Uh, actually, and I, I guess I should preface it, uh, I think it was in Mexico City about five years ago, and uh, we were out to the Temple of Sun and Temple uh, of the Moon. Teotihuacan. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then, actually, we rode the, the subway uh, back from there, and it was a delightful trip. I think the subway's great in Mexico City. It's very cheap. It only costs two pesos. It's the fastest way to get around the city. Um, the only problems it has, you know, like in any big city, rush hour, it's very crowded, and it it is not comprehensive. It doesn't go all over the city, unfortunately. But if it is on the route where you're going, I highly recommend the subway. I take it all the time. I take it several times a week. Um, I try not to take it before 10 a.m., and usually like after 5 or 6, I would avoid it as well just because it gets too crowded. But otherwise, I pretty much always find a seat on the subway. It's really quite comfortable, and it costs two pesos which now is, what, about 14 cents? Something like that, yeah. So it's incredibly cheap and fast and quiet. Actually, when I go back to New York now, I'm always shocked at how how shabby the service is, considering that they charge $2 for it. I also think it's a subway that's easy to figure out how to use. Unlike New York or London, the Mexico City subway system, you, you know, you get a subway map and it's pretty clear where the connections are, how to get from one place to another. And all the stations are marked by symbols. Not You don't have to read. I was going to say, you can be illiterate and still ride the subway, right? Yes. There's like hundreds of stations. I think that was one of their considerations for you know people coming in from, from the countryside who might not be able to read, but they can look at the pictures. Very impressed by that. Well, thank you. All right, Keith, thanks for your call. And Megan's on the phone in Boston. Megan, thanks for your call. Got a comment or a question for Jim or David? Yeah, I am. I'm actually planning to go to Mexico City um, in October, and was really interested in taking part of some Day of the Dead festivities. So I was wondering if there was any advice on that. I actually have a tip. Um, one of the parts of town that they tell you not to go to is Iztapalapa, <laughs> but actually the center of Iztapalapa is quite safe, and, and it's even like a small town. 
a couple of doors down from the Iztapalapa metro station, the subway station, there's an old church, and inside the church there's a graveyard. And I believe that that is the best place in Mexico City to experience the Day of the Dead because all of the things you've read about it, the families coming to the graveyard with food and tequila and making offerings at the grave sites of their families, mariachis coming and playing music, people weeping, people laughing, uh, people living with their dead happens at that church. Unfortunately, I don't remember the name of the church, but it, it's in my book, First Stop in the New World. In the chapter that is called um, Jesus of Iztapalapa, you'll find exactly the name of the church. And it's also, even if you don't get the book, it's just two or three doors down from the subway station. Okay, uh, but just Iztapalapa. so people know this, Iztapalapa, that's the key word to find David's favorite place to celebrate the, the Day of the Dead, I-Z-T-A-P-A-L-A-P-A. David, what is the Day of the Dead and when is it? It's November 1st and 2nd, um, and it is basically the day of the year when Mexicans convene with their dead. Many people go to graveyards and, as I said, set up altars at the individual grave sites of their family members. Some people do it at home. It's the day where you commemorate, not just commemorate, but convene with your dead. So are people dancing in the streets? Dancing, no. Uh, it's not something I've seen, but... But they might be drinking, they might be crying, they might be laughing, they might be telling jokes or sharing memories. Okay. And they're certainly carrying lots of flowers. Yeah. The quantity of flowers here that time. It's one of the best times to come to Mexico for anybody who's never been. It's, to me, it's one of the most moving and important ceremonies or, or rituals that Mexicans have that, that offer something to teach to other cultures. Jim, where would you take a well, visitor? Well, actually, I, I've got it on my blog because I, I have recently expanded my writing to write for the English language newspaper here in Mexico called The News. If you go to my blog, I have a list of my published articles. And the very first article I did for The News was for Day of the Dead last year. And what I did hmm. was to investigate the best places to go in Mexico City to see Day of the Dead altars. Um, many public places, museums, schools construct very elaborate altars, usually dedicated to some famous dead person but build these structures that are really quite amazing. There are contests as well in the city for building the best altar. So basically what I did was I went and found out who the contest winners had been last year and recommended them as places to go. All right, Megan, there you go. They got some good ideas for the Day of the Dead. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Sounds way better than Halloween in the United States. <laughs> I, I, I bet it's going to be an experience. <laughs> thanks for your call, Megan in Boston. Okay, thanks. David Lita and Jim Johnston are our guests today on Travel with Rick Steves from studios in Mexico City. They're both New Yorkers who found themselves captivated by Mexico City and made it their home. Links to their books about the city are in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK, and you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Hola amigos, soy Federico desde Madrid, y cuando estoy en España, soy feliz como un niño. Hi, my friends, I'm Federico from Madrid, and when I'm in Spain, I'm happy as a baby. Hola amigos, soy Federico desde Madrid, y cuando estoy en España, soy feliz como un niño. Gracias. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're exploring Mexico City with two New Yorkers who went down there and by chance just fell in love with, of all places, Mexico City, and we're learning why. Jim Johnston has written a book called Mexico City, an opinionated guide for the curious traveler, and David Lita wrote a book called First Stop in the New World, Mexico City, the capital of the 21st century. You can learn more about their work and their blogs, uh, as always, on our website in the radio corner at ricksteves.com. We've got all the details on how to learn more about the people we talk to in these programs. Jim Johnston, in your book, you talk about Mexico City has a great soundtrack. What do you mean by that? Well, there's all kinds of noises here that you don't hear in other places. 
a lot of vendors have sounds that announce their arrival. Um, for example, we still have knife sharpeners that come around neighborhoods with a uh, like a bicycle wheel, and they'll sharpen your knives. And they have a particular whistle, and you, when you hear the whistle, you know the knife sharpeners here. There's another thing we have here called camoteros, which are guys who sell sweet potatoes at night, which is sort of a late-night dessert. They're sweetened. And he's got this particular odd-sounding whistle on his it's little a cart. a steam whistle. A steam whistle. It's very wow. eerie. It's actually very, you, very shrill. The, creeps. <laughs> um, the garbage men have a particular clanging bell sound. To let you know that they're coming, huh? Yeah. Yeah, people people call out. I don't know if you if you're familiar with uh, Gershon's Porgy and Bess. There's a scene there where in I guess it's supposed to be in Old New Orleans where all the strawberry vendors are coming out and the different food vendors are coming out. And this was something that apparently that he was trying to you know show from an older time in New Orleans. Well, the older time still exists here, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I think why David and I would say we both love it. There's yeah. a lot of old time stuff. That has not disappeared yeah. from Mexico City. It, it's a paradoxical yeah. city in that way because there's a lot of things that are very up to the minute. You know, you've got huge office towers with gleaming steel and mirrors and glass. And you've got these street vendors with their steam whistles. Uh, you, you know, if, if you read books that were written in Mexico City in the 19th century, like Life in Mexico by Fanny Calderón de la Barca, she writes about the same kind of vendors in 1840 as there are today. So it's this very paradoxical city of contrasts in that way. That's one of the easiest ways for people to see the contrast. So you've got that charm of the old popsicle truck or something when we were kids in the neighborhoods of Mexico City today. But the other thing about the soundtrack is it's a very musical town. It's a rare day that you don't go out walking and see live music somewhere. Guitar players or a trio, an accordion player. There's a trumpet guy that comes every Sunday morning, way too early for my taste, and starts you know, playing, hoping that people will open their window and toss him a coin. This is a subtle yeah. charm where you don't have a list of famous museums to see. You've got to get out there into the neighborhoods and, and be uh, one of those travelers that really is sensitive to these things. Well, well, Mexico City is interesting in that way because you can do like a cultural tour and be fascinated by all the museums and, and galleries and music and performances. You know, there's dance and opera and all that. But if you're willing to walk around on the streets, I mean, that's where, to me, the richest part of this city happens, unfolds. And, and I, th- I think the point you're making is globalization has really yet to rob Mexico City of its of its unique qualities. That's very, very much true, I would say. You know, the rich people here live in a more globalized way. They go to Starbucks, they go to McDonald's, they go to shopping malls to buy stuff. But globalization has not reached the poor of Mexico yet because there's not enough money for them to buy it. So so they're living in a very uh, uh, old-fashioned manner. But even in neighborhoods like, I mean, I live in, in Colonia Condeso, which is considered a fairly nice neighborhood. It's very mixed. There's all, all kinds of people of different economic levels. But in the last five or ten years, it's become sort of more desirable for upscale. There's a lot of new fancy buildings. But it still has the weekly tianguis, which is the weekly food and vegetable market that shows up every Tuesday, huh. as it has for centuries, since before the Spaniards even came. And so there are still, even in these sort of more supposedly modern neighborhoods, things that go on that are very much from a a time long past. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Mexico City, and we're joined by two New Yorkers who have uh, moved to Mexico City and become experts on their adopted hometown. Jim Johnston and David Lee to have each written fine guides to Mexico City. Jim and David, when we think of Mexico City, by some accounts, it's uh, the oldest city in the Western Hemisphere, uh, settled in 1325. And uh, Jim, you wrote that uh, there's a deep sense of ancient history that pervades the city. And you also wrote that past and present inhabit the same place in Mexico City. Tell us a little bit what you mean by that. Well, um, you can go to the, the very center of Mexico City and see the ruins of the, of the Aztec Templo Mayor, which were only discovered in what was the, late 70s, the late yeah. 70s when they were digging electrical lines and discovered that there was this enormous temple. 
right under the, in the very center of town. And hmm. so you you know you're just walking down the street and suddenly look over and there are these 700 year old stones hmm. sitting next to 300 year old buildings and 400 year old buildings and something that could be just from yesterday. Or you even walk down the street and you might see at the Museo de la Ciudad de México, for example, which was a building built by the Spaniards. But in the corner, there's a head of an Aztec god that they used as a cornerstone to construct hmm. the building. In the metro, one of the metro stops, Pino Suarez, has a an Aztec altar in the middle of the metro stop. You're changing trains and suddenly you see this. It's not all that impressive, but it's it's impressive just because of what it is. Because you're reminded that it was a pre-Columbian city. Exactly. And so you you do see things like that. I have this fascinating uh, image of what Cortez must have seen roughly 500 years ago when he became the oh. first European to come to Mexico City. Tell us what Cortez stumbled upon when he came to uh, ancient Mexico City. Well, there are a couple of good maps around. There's one actually right by the Templo Mayor. There's a like a 3D relief map that you can look at showing this city that must have been somewhat like Venice in its structure. It was all canals. The whole area was a gigantic lake that was later drained. And you can still actually, if you go to Xochimilco, where there are still canals from pre-Hispanic times, you can take boat rides down there and, and kind of get an idea. Of but I mean, people write that Mexico City was arguably the greatest city on the planet when it was, dis quote, discovered by Europeans. Uh -huh. I believe it was the most populous city in the world in those days and very advanced technologically in terms of plumbing and, and infrastructure. And, you know, with very unpromising raw material because it's a, a city that was built on canals. But and, why is there and, no and, um, appreciation of that? The typical uh, Norte Americano just thinks nothing of pre-Columbian Mexico, but arguably it was a city like Venice, the most populous and uh, sophisticated technologically city on the planet. Well, you tell us, Rick, why, why, why is there not a greater appreciation for Mexico City in the U.S.? Oh, I don't know. Was it because Cortes and the conquistadors effectively just destroyed it because they thought he was the Messiah? I don't think it was completely destroyed. There still are a lot of vestiges of ancient Mexico in the city. Um, yes, a lot of it was destroyed, but there's still remnants. I'm thinking in terms of Mexico City through the centuries was and I think still remains one of the great cities of the world. Yet there's this, for as long as I can remember, this perception in the minds of uh, people from the United States that it's this terrible place. Yeah. Well, there's something very eastward looking in the whole educational culture in the United States. We learn about ancient Rome. We learn about ancient Greece and somehow see that as our roots. And in fact, ancient Mexico doesn't really have roots that extended to the United States so much. Um, but when I first came to Mexico in 1989, I was shocked because I knew nothing about Mexico. Friends invited me along, and I just said, sure, let's go. We went to Oaxaca, and I came back thinking, why didn't anybody ever tell me about this place? Yeah. It's so amazing. It seems so much more exotic to me than anything I had seen in Europe. Well, that's that's we're very Eurocentric. That reaction that Jim described, that, you know, why didn't anyone ever tell me about this before? I've seen that time and again in people who've come to visit me here from the United States. You know, why didn't we know about this before? Why, you know, why didn't anyone send us the memo that this is a great city? There's a great quote that's something like, uh, people who don't travel are like people who own a great book but never turn a page. And uh, I find that time and time again, every time I go to a different country, I go, wow, why did I never think about this place? It's it's pretty exciting. And that's one of the frustrations of hosting this radio show is I talk to people like you and you make me realize, geez, I've just scratched the surface here. Come and visit. <laughs> I'm going to come and visit. You bet. It's easy to get to Mexico City and I'm not going to be put off by headlines that talk about drug lords killing each other. Now, I'm talking with Jim Johnson and David Leder. We're talking about Mexico City. And, of course, food is a big deal when people travel. And, Jim, I love your list in your book on tastes of Mexico City, your top ten. I want to just go really quick. I'm going to mention these top ten dishes in Mexico City. And just, just give me your take on these things and why you would have that on your experience list while you're in Mexico City. Tamales. Well, tamales and chilacoyos, which is number two, are both really ancient foods, basically not so different from what Aztecs might have eaten. Tamales are ground corn cooked in a corn husk or sometimes a banana leaf with a little bit of filling, a red chile sauce, or a little bit of chicken or pork inside. And they're very popular in the morning as a breakfast food or late at night as a, as a late night snack. And to me, it's sort of the essential Mexican comfort food. I mean, corn is so much a part of Mexican I love cuisine. corn. The, just the concept that corn is of the people. When you go to El Salvador, people show themselves as coming out of stalks of corn, and they are the people of corn. There's, there's lots of images. There was a show here at, at a museum last year in Coyoacan called uh, Sin Maiz No Hay País, which is, <laughs> which is to say that without corn, there's no country. 
Okay, vampiros. Vampiros. A vampiro is a, a juice. There's lots of juice stands all over Mexico City. One of the things I love here, whenever I'm out and feeling hot and thirsty, almost within a minute of feeling thirst, I find a fresh juice stand. Mm. You can get a, a thing of fresh orange juice here for a dollar in a second. So you've got a bunch of different fruits, and you just point to what you want. They'll squeeze you whatever mix you like. Yes. And a vampiro is a, is a, I guess it's all over Mexico, but I, I seem to see it more in Mexico City. It's a juice mixture of beet juice, carrot juice, sometimes orange. Um, sometimes they throw in a little celery as well. Beet, mm. carrot, and orange is the, is the standard combination. I, I would add, uh, Rick, that food is the other way that travelers experience a place. I, I mean, I think it's very direct that you see how people live and survive by eating their food. And one thing about Mexico City, many people from the United States are, like, terrified about eating food on the street. Yet some of the best food, if not all of it, is on the street in Mexico mm-hmm. City. I mean, in, in stalls, uh, stands, in the markets, in the cantinas, in little holes in the wall. I encourage people who travel here to eat that stuff because I think it's the richest and most wonderful food that you can get here. And I think you just, if there's a turnover, that would be a consideration of mine in the developing world. You want a place where there's a lot of business so they don't have stuff laying around a long time. In my book, I give certain tips for like what to look for, what I look for before I eat right. a place on the street. A lot of people eat at these street stalls because they're the least expensive places to eat. And, you know, most citizens of Mexico City are cash-strapped. So there is a lot of turnover at most of the street stalls. But looking for a crowded place is always a good yeah. a good bet. I mean, the yeah. same way Los Angeles, the Mexican street stalls are getting more and more popular, I think. Uh, it's a great way to have good working-class Mexican food. Merengues. Uh, merengues are meringues. And it's actually, that is one specific place, I would say. There's a pastry shop. It actually happens to be just a block from where I live. And not much else at the bakery is all that great. But they make these meringues with a cream filling mm. in them that is just one of my favorite desserts in Mexico. Mexico sort of short on desserts, I think. So uh, when I find a really great one like that. David, what's your favorite dessert? You know, uh, I think I, another tequila is my favorite dessert. <laughs> I think I can relate to that. And what about, uh, you got tacos here on your list, Jim. Well, tacos are sort of a ubiquitous. Um, if Americans think of taco, of those crunchy shell things with ground beef and lettuce, they are not going to find that in Mexico. Uh, maybe at the north, near Texas, they'll find it, but uh-huh. nowhere in Mexico City, have I, nowhere in Mexico have I ever seen that. Tacos here are a soft tortilla, not a crisp one, with a small amount of filling in it. And there are a hundred different kinds of fillings that taco stands offer in Mexico City. Standard ones are grilled meat, and some of them can get pretty uh, meaty. I mean, there are certain stands that are called tacos de cabeza, which are head tacos, where they sell brains, eyes, ears, nose. Anything so a from phrase book might be helpful in that regard if you're concerned a about A phrase book brains. is helpful in that. Although some hmm. of those taco words you won't even find in... All right. um, if there's anything that could be considered a municipal dish in Mexico City, it is the taco al pastor, which is a huge slab of pork marinated in spices, roasted on a spit, and they fill the tortilla with that um, onion, cilantro, and uh, a little slice of pineapple. It, it's it's a lovely talk. Oh, you're making me hungry. Let's talk about mole for a minute. Well, there's a Mexican phrase, mas mexicano que mole, which is more Mexican than mole, which is what we would say as, as American as apple pie. Um, mole is considered by many to be the national dish. It's actually a mixture of things that have some culinary roots in pre-Hispanic cooking and other things that were added to it. And it's the one that people often say, oh, that's the sauce with the chocolate in it. Well, it's, it, it sometimes does have powdered chocolate in it, but not always. There are many, many kinds of mole. But essentially, it's a sauce that's ground up from various spices, chiles, herbs, and often nuts or seeds that give it a thickness and is usually served with chicken. Probably a good idea to get over your Tex-Mex uh, orientation when you're heading down for real Mexican food. Tex-Mex is its own thing, but you yeah. don't see so much of it down here. Although nachos have recently arrived, mostly to Mexico City movie theaters. Huh. Nachos are not, not Mexican food. Uh, how about green pozole? Well, pozole is another dish. It's sort of a big hearty soup that has hominy in it, big, big kernels of corn. And again, there are lots of variations on that. Red is the most common one you see here. I found this one place in Colonia Roma that serves green pozole, made with hominy, but also ground up pumpkin seeds, which is what gives it its thick green quality. I used to live in the building where the restaurant is, so I went there all the time. But after years in the city, it still remains one of my favorite things to eat in that particular spot. Marty writes us from uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. And Marty writes, 
The history of the city, as the locals call it, is absolutely fascinating. It's full of museums to take you back to the intelligence and culture of the early foundations before the Spanish arrived. I've been fortunate enough to tour archaeological digs and question archaeologists about what exactly I was seeing. I have been fortunate to tour and climb the Pyramid of the Sun two times, located just outside the city, and witness the huge scope of the ancient civilization in the cities surrounding the pyramids at Teotihuacan. My visit to Mexico City and the area around it just filled me with awe and wonder. Jim Johnston and David Lita, I think it's a, sort of a fascinating mix, isn't it? There's people afraid, there's people just swept away by the history and the culture, and there's people that just love to immerse themselves in a hectic, mega-hyper city, sort of the, the uh, unplanned, wild and crazy urban scene of the future. There isn't much in between, is there? <laughs> no, there's not. I can actually empathize with people's fear, because when I first came here in 1989, when there was still bad news about Mexico City... Um, I, I felt afraid of the place and was afraid to walk down the streets. And only slowly, for, just from the experience of being here, did my fear dissipate. Now when I look back, I think, well, my fear wasn't based on a whole lot of any reality. Nothing actually ever happened to me. And so now, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my book, I think David did too, is trying to offset some of these really wrong perceptions that people have about Mexico and about Mexico City. It's such a richly delicious place to live and to visit. Hmm. And, and I, I just think, you know, that for people to pay too much attention to the, the, the negative news, they're going to miss out on something really important. Well, thank both of you for the work you do to help Americans understand a great city south of our border. Jim Johnston, author of Mexico City, an opinionated guide for the curious traveler, and David Lita, author of First Stop in the New World, Mexico City, the capital of the 21st century. Jim and David, thanks for joining us, and happy travels and best wishes in Mexico City. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Production thanks to Pat O'Connor and to Manuel Guerra de Luna and the staff at Manhattan Beat Studio in Mexico City. Join us again next week for Travel with Rick Steves. Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 130 cities across the country. Help yourself to free podcasts of past shows and Rick's audio tours of Europe's greatest sites in the radio section of our website. For the latest on Rick's radio and TV work, his guidebooks, and his European tours with small groups, visit ricksteves.com.